what did you see in his holiness Azim Masur Ahmed in terms of reflecting those teachings of Prophet Muhammad and Islam? Mm, that's a really good question. So I've been fortunate to meet His Holiness on two occasions. The first time was in Houston in 2018 or 2019. It wasn't uh, just me in the room. There was another uh, scholar from Houston. The vibe that I got there was it was very atmospheric. Like I mentioned this, like it, it felt like there was some type of light in in the room, um, some type of it, uh, in, intellect. There was peace. There was comfort. Uh, all of these things, which I felt, I think, clearly embody what Muhammad was driving for. Welcome to Al Hakam Inspire. Our guest today is Dr. Cray Considine, who is an award-winning professor and a best-selling author of The Humanity of Muhammad, A Christian View, published in 2020, and is a recognized scholar of Islam who's gone into depth to research the seerah, the life of the Prophet, peace be upon him. He is a recognized authority in interfaith dialogue, particularly Christian and Muslim relations. Dr. Considine has written several books for the field of Islamic studies, including The People of Book, uh, the people of the book, Prophet Muhammad's Encounter with Christians, which was published in 2021. He's a faculty member of the Department of Sociology at Rice University and holds a PhD in sociology from Trinity College, Dublin. Dr. Considine's opinions appear regularly in leading news and media outlets around the world, and he's a practicing Roman Catholic and is recognized as an authority in interfaith dialogue, particularly Christian and Muslim relations. Dr. Craig Considine, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. So, Dr. Craig, I've been following you forever on social media. Um, how long have you been on social media? Oh, pretty much since it started. So, yeah, I remember exactly. when I was in college, 2006, I think, face, Facebook started. And then I think my Twitter says 2012. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, 2012, maybe after it. I don't remember. But I just remember there was this one Christian always tweeting about the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And I, I've i always wondered, I was like, how is such a devout Christian tweeting and promoting and praising Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? So what, is, what has your journey been? Because I've also actually read about you and you can tell us a bit more that you actually started off as maybe viewing Islam in a more negative light. But anyways, I'll, I'll, tell us about your journey. So the journey with like Islamic studies, Christian Muslim relations and interfaith started unknowingly for me unconsciously on 9-11. I grew up right uh, outside of Boston uh, in Needham. Uh, and so I'm 15, right? When that happens and the town I grew up in, we don't have any mosques still to this day. Wow. Never was taught about Islam in Catholic school and in public school, it really didn't come up. So for me, there was no context to understand what was being thrown at us in the media and by politicians. You know what I mean? So I was kind of naive. Like I wasn't like Islamophobic, you know, like my, my family, I wasn't raised that way. You know, like we weren't we weren't Islamophobic, but it was so easy to be duped, you know, yeah, uh, exactly through the media. And uh, so. When it came time to go to college, I decided that I wanted to get involved with some type of foreign policy, something to do with American national identity. So 
I actually transferred from Eastern Connecticut. I went to uh, American University in Washington, D.C., the, the center of the, the political bubble. Hmm. And I was intending to get involved in intelligence, really. I wanted to understand why something like 9-11 happened. Like, why did these bad guys do this? So that was the mindset. I go into college, I'm taking Arabic, I'm taking all these classes, and I stumbled upon one called The World of Islam with Ambassador Akbar Ahmed. And I always bring Dr. Ahmed up, especially when I talk about my journey, because being possible, my journey, without him getting me off to the right start. So I was a, I had a blank, I was a blank state when I walked into that class. If he was Islamophobic or if he was like some, a little Islamophobic yeah. or whatever, it, I could have easily been going down that narrative and that road. But he put me on the interfaith there. That was what really for me moved me not only intellectually, but it moved me spiritually. And I understood, I just had a, a very sincere appreciation for the importance of human to human engagement and right. interaction and encounter. And he did it so well. So I was, I was lucky. Um, I, I learned from an early, uh, as an early professional or academic to be a bridge builder. And that's what I've been focusing on. So with Muhammad, like it's completely, Muhammad doesn't enter into like my immediate worldview until like 2013, when I right. read a book, by the covenants, uh, the, called the covenants of the prophet Muhammad with the Christians of the world by Dr. John Andrew Morrow. So this book was the first time I ever read a book just about Muhammad. And it happened to look at Muhammad's life and legacy through the prism of Christianity. So at the time too, 2012, 2013, we know ISIS was running rampant, right? right in right. the middle East, causing all this destruction, destroying churches. And then here are these covenants. And here's yeah. this message from Prophet Muhammad saying, don't do this. So then I made it uh, part of my, my work to amplify Professor Morrow's work, John's work. And then, you know, I've written several books um, since then. But the appreciation for Muhammad, for me, uh, you know, I wear multiple hats. You know, like I'm, I'm a human, I'm a Christian, I'm a dad, I'm, I'm a scholar, I'm all these different things. And within each of these categories, Muhammad means something different. Right. So from a scholarly perspective, I, I feel like his, his life is just fascinating and interesting from a motivational one. His life is also a brilliant story. Uh, as a Christian, I can't not like Muhammad, really. I mean, it, 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 that's how I kind of see it. It's part of the same uh, tradition. And then um, it has so many other reasons why I admire him. But um, it's a balance between like the scholarly legitimacy, like understanding what he went through, the time he lived in, but then also the inspiration behind it. Sure. So, I mean, during your research and you have gone into great depth to study the life of uh, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, what kind of stood out for you, particularly with regards to the Muslim-Christian relations? Um, was there anything in particular that kind of you found fascinating or shocked you? And perhaps you could tell us about the Christians of Najran. So you have to really understand the Christians uh, around the Arabian Peninsula in the 6th and 7th century. And you have to understand that type of Christianity that was present to actually understand Muhammad's life journey. Right. So you can do two, two things at the same time. You know, you can study Christianity through Muhammad and you can study Muhammad through Christianity. And what we can clearly see is that in 
in arguably the most important moments in Muhammad's life, we tend to see Christians there. So if we start with 610, right, the, the revelations begin. He comes down Mount Hira, goes to see Khadija. Second person, they go see a Christian, Waraka ibn Fal, right? 615, communities in desperate uh, conditions in Mecca, things aren't looking good. Muhammad is concerned about the longevity of his community. What does he do? He tells them to get on a boat, cross the Red Sea, and there a Christian king will protect you. I mean, what a leap of faith that is, right? 622, obviously, Second Hijra, Constitution of Medina. While the language of the Constitution actually doesn't explicitly mention Christians, I and other scholars, uh, of course, scholars who developed this well before me, ha have basically suggested that there were Christians in Medina, too. And they were, they were part of this broader community. And then, you know, towards the end of Muhammad's life, we have, you know, kind of uh, the end years and we have the engagement with the Christians of Najran, which is arguably the most uh, important diplomatic event in the history of Christian and Muslim relations. It also happens to perhaps be the first official kind of delegation. And what I love about this story, and I think this speaks volumes um, to Muhammad's character and his conduct, he didn't just invite this community um, from Najran to his space, into his community to, to chat. He wanted them to feel like there was a real understanding right? Not just mentally or intellectually, but like that understanding when you feel like you can belong, right? You feel like you feel safe. And what I've written about in many times in my books is that he let the Christians pray in the masjid, which is even to this day, it's completely extraordinary. And I think the most important message that we see that it's not just, you know, freedom of religion and tolerance that goes without saying, because they were in the mosque to begin with. But I think Muhammad wanted them to feel like they were being looked after, that they were, they were witnessing hospitality at its greatest. And that is a huge message to me. 100%. And I think, like you said, to this day, that is a big thing because there's lots of, you know, even mosques right now who wouldn't be comfortable with that at all. But just to highlight the fact that Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, did that, it's just such a big reminder for all Muslims in terms of the importance of engaging with other religions as well. And in this case, with Christianity, you speak in your books, in your talks about the constitution of Medina and also the state of Medina and how the prophet created a civic society and also religious pluralism. And you make this difference between pluralism and tolerance, which I thought was really interesting. So tell us how now the prophets come to Medina. He's been accepted by the Jewish tribes there as well. And like you're saying, there must have been Christians there as well. And they've accepted him as a state leader. What then yeah. happens? Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. So the establishment, as I've mentioned, uh, as you mentioned, and I've written about the civic nation, right? So anyone can really join a civic nation. What, what unites people, the glue is not race. It's not ethnicity. It's not religion. It's law. It's a way of, it's a way of living. So it's an opt in. It's a contract. Anyone can join it, but you have to abide by the conditions. And it, what Muhammad built was not just tolerance for all these different tribes, which you've noted, right? Everyone, 
basically has autonomy and sovereignty over themselves. But that's just tolerance. He, what Muhammad engaged in was pluralism, which I always take from pro- Professor Diana Eck at Harvard. Pluralism is not this idea that all gods are equal. People think it's like this perennialist philosophy. I've never approached it that way. I've always approached it through sociological matters. So it's the energetic engagement with religious diversity. Right. What, so we see that energetic engagement with religious diversity in the Constitution because Muhammad made all of these communities mutually dependent upon one another. So if one tribe, if one segment of Medina is attacked, then everyone's attacked. Yeah. It's like yeah. what we have in the States with, you know, if one state's attacked, everyone's, everyone's attacked. So he, he did, the tolerance is obviously so important. He, he set the, he's planted the seed for a healthy, tolerant society, but he made sure to water it often to make sure it actually grew and flourished and people were able to flourish. I think also, I would love to hear a comment from you about the importance of the constitution of Medina, because, you know, we hear, especially growing up in the West being taught here, the Magna Carta and, um, the constitution of America and how these things revolutionize uh, international human rights, so on and so forth and created peace. How important was the constitution of Medina? Uh, one thing I would love to study and scholars have done this, but finding out whether let's say, let's use the United States for an example, like the founding fathers were the founding fathers reading material in history books about these type of things. And we know Thomas Jefferson definitely did. Uh, I mean, Dr. Morrow, who I mentioned earlier, he's actually done a study on Jefferson's library and has confirmed that he could have come across a lot of these writings on early Islam and early uh, uh, Christian Muslim relations. So yeah, it's, uh, I would love to see if, if there's any hard evidence out there that no, they're really reading stuff i think you should definitely pursue that and we'd love to read that as well after <laughs> one of nine book projects i'm working <laughs> yeah. on i guess yeah <laughs> that's fantastic it is really fascinating but we're talking about a society where different religions islam judaism christianity were all able to to live together exist together peacefully um, how important do you think that is today where there's so much division and even, you know, political extremes? We've seen kind of the the rise of the right wing in the West and lots of Islamophobia as well. Um, but it's not just Islam. It's uh, Christianity and Judaism that's poorly understood as well. Um, how important do you think it is to have interfaith in today's society? If I could put a number on it, one to 100, I would say it's 100. Uh, it's the idea of there being ignorance or misunderstanding or hatred through lack of knowledge, lack of exposure, misinformation is a disaster. So people are hating each other for, for really reasons unfound. They're hating each other because of what they're seeing in the media or from what uh, sensational politicians say, which then gets transmitted to the media. So for any healthy society, you have to have some type of approach towards getting communities together. Now, in the so-called West, which is uh, increasingly diverse, if I could speak from the context of the United States, you know, we are in many ways the melting pot of the world. The UK is quite similar in this regard, right? So 
diversity is not going anywhere. That's for certain. If anything, things are going to get more complex, right? Because we're seeing a lot more of this this gray zone blending. Uh, and uh, if we don't have if we don't have ingrained in our educational systems at a young age that this is important, then we're really done for, right? So you, you it, and it's not with dialogue like this, like it, it's not one program's not going to fix it. It needs to be deeply ingrained in our families, in our, in our homes, our communities, like this idea that like, let's, let's actually sit down with people. Like, hmm. Let's 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 go old school human stuff. And like instead of watching something on a screen, let's sit down and talk. Let's let's break bread. Let's have an event. Right. So and that's this is important, too, with interfaith. A lot of people want to talk about religion, uh, religious literacy, how important that is critically important. And this is part of what we're talking about. But without that human to human physical encounter the stuff, uh, the heavy academic stuff won't, won't click. So in short, I would say, I would end with this, like to, to borrow from the great, uh, Scotsman, uh, Thomas Paine, who wrote one of the most influential, uh, treaties in the history of the United States, common sense. You know, I actually read it recently. It's a very short pamphlet. I was like, so I kind of know what he's going on, but let me actually dive into it. Um, common sense, the way he phrased it was in a certain context, right? No taxation without representation. That's still common sense, but the new common sense needs to be what we're talking about here uh, of like getting, getting people together, fostering bridges, uh, building bridges. That's it. That's what we need. I think that's, that's also one of the aims since the establishment of the Ahmadi Muslim community to do that. And even to this day, there's, we, we have endless amounts of uh, interfaith. And like you're saying, it's usually breaking bread together. It's usually having food together. And when you have that uh, interaction with another person, forget religion for a second, just with another person, you realize there's so much more that connects you than divides you. And um, religion becomes, you know, it doesn't become a issue which will, you know, make you people make two people go away from each other, rather it will actually connect them. So I think that's really crucial um, to highlight. Now, one thing which stood out for me personally, as an Ahmadi Muslim, I've seen you for a number of years, just reading your stuff, watching your videos, looking at your social media posts, you clearly have a lot of respect for Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, you're inspired by him you um, speak about him a lot and then more recently during um, his tour Hazrat Mizza Masroor Ahmed may Allah be his helper his tour of the USA you met him as well there and um, for Ahmadi Muslims you know it was, a, it was a beautiful thing to watch and read about and so I just want to kind of get your take on you've studied Prophet Muhammad in depth you know what he represented in terms of Islamic teachings. What did you see in His Holiness, Azimizam Masur Ahmed, in terms of reflecting those teachings of Prophet Muhammad and Islam? Mm, that's a really good question. So I've been fortunate to meet His Holiness on two occasions. The first time was in Houston in 2018 or 2019. It wasn't uh, just me in the room. There was another uh, scholar from Houston. The vibe that I got 
there was it was very atmospheric like i mentioned this like it, it felt like there was some type of light in in the room um some type of it, uh, in, intellect there was peace there was comfort uh, all of these things which i felt i think clearly embody what muhammad was driving for you know we can talk about all these things like the constitution and, and setting up states and all this but like at the end of the day like he was just about goodness right goodness ex excellence uh and that's what i saw the first time i met uh his holy his holiness the, the second time which was in zion uh, i always loved the, the fact that it was in zion with the religious symbolism uh, behind that and that was a private uh meeting now that one was significantly different for me um, it was one-on-one, -on -one, of course, and it started off with us talking about something quite heavy. So he asked me, basically, what are you working on? I said, I'm working on a book, which is about civilization. And he immediately turned to there just basically being one civilization. He's like, well, what civilization are you talking about? He was basically saying, there's only one, right? Which is true, definitely true. And that got me thinking. And then we started talking about uh, like nuclear war. So it got heavy at the beginning, and then it kind of moved into a discussion of old friends. Like we haven't, we haven't seen each other for a while. And like, we, I think we have similar, I don't know, just like, um, like wavelengths. <laughs> if I could, if I could, I don't mean to place myself into his category, you know, but like, we just, we have a very good back and forth understanding. It's, it's unwritten actually. And when I brought in Rumi and Emerson, we got, we got into mysticism, then we got into love. Uh, and all of that points back to the first meeting, right? Which was, I, I, was, I was mentioning, there was like an ambiance, a, a feeling, a, a lightness uh, in the air. So both were very, very memorable to me um, in, in many ways. And it's fantastic. I hope to meet His Holiness in, in England. He did say, I will be waiting for you. So. He did, yes. I love that, yes. That's amazing. Now, um, you know, today <clears throat> we've talked about kind of interfaith, different religions, being able to talk to one another. Uh, I suppose on social media, you're very active and we can see that you practice what you preach. So you, you're often tweeting and in discussions with different faiths. Um, I just want to ask, you know, you, you must get some sort of your on social media, you must get some element of negativity, perhaps from uh, Christians or recently, you know, we, we can kind of share this tweet on the, the podcast if you're watching on YouTube, but um, you tweeted about kind of Ahmadi Muslims in particular and said that, you know, you believe that fundamentally, um, you know, they are Muslims, whereas a lot of Muslims disagree and um, count Ahmadis out of the fold of Islam. So I suppose is that kind of aspect where when you're engaging on social media, how do you deal with the negativity, uh, both from Christians and Muslims and kind of difference of opinions? So it's changed. My experience um, has changed a lot over the years with how to deal with the online world and everything that comes with it, the good, the bad, the ugly. When I first started becoming visible, maybe, you know, I don't know how you would determine visibility, but, you know, a couple thousand followers, probably 2013, most of the negativity I was receiving was from what we would refer to as like the Islamophobia industry or people who are affiliated with that in any way. 
And that was pretty much the only form of intense um, harassment at the time. Um, when Trump came into office, so that's 2016, 2017, I became more visible because I was denouncing a lot of his policies and people became more familiar with me. And then Muslims started coming online and that was mainly like, you should convert, yeah. uh, which still <laughs> happens a lot, right? Which, which, which happens uh, a lot. And then, um, I guess over time, you know, as I've matured, um, I've grown closer to certain communities than others. Uh, the Ahmadiyya uh, Muslim community happens to be one. And uh, Fatir, as you mentioned earlier, like I, I back up my actions and um, with words and my words with actions. And I wouldn't ever um, leave a community because they're unpopular. You know, I, I don't do that. that that's not what I, um, that's not my principle at all. So I just learned to be better with my time and uh, don't let that negativity get into my, my mind, my heart. I think that's, that's, that's definitely a wise decision, especially for um, all of us as well. Um, and of course, your message is getting out there. It's getting out there through your books, through your engagements, through your videos. Um, just to kind of finish off now, tell us where people can find you. Tell our listeners where can they go? Um, you mentioned your documentary. Where can they watch that? Your books, so on and so forth. Um, that would be great as an ending point. Um, and yeah, that would be great. Great. So thank you so much for having me, by the way. Enjoyed uh, this conversation. And I know it's a little later over in the UK for y'all <laughs> than it is here in Houston. But I'm at Rice University right now. That's where I'm I'm based. Um I'm active on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, I do have a full-length documentary feature film produced in 2008 called Journey into America, produced by Ambassador Akbar Ahmed. That was actually an, a one-year ethnographic study. We traveled the length and breadth of the United States, understanding um, the experiences of Muslims and what it meant to be an American through the lens of Muslims. So we interviewed Hamza Youssef, Noam Chomsky, Reggie Jackson, it's a low budget film, but I, I think y'all, uh, y'all might enjoy it. It's, yeah, it's, no, it's pretty good. And then with my books, um, you know, Amazon, Amazon's a good spot. Uh, I do have a book coming out hopefully in the next year or so. And this is one I was talking with his holiness about. Don't have a title yet, but I'm building a civilizational theory. I don't want to sound too academic here, mm -hmm. but in short, it's really about overcoming uh, binaries and getting people into the, the gray zone of dialogue and exchange. And I'm arguing basically there have been moments in the history of Christian Muslim relations where the best of both civilizations come out of a synthesis when they actually come together and work off each other. So I'm, I'm bashing in this book, you know, uh, I'm bashing in a way Samuel Huntington. I have a lot of respect for Samuel Huntington. Uh, you know, his theory is still being discussed. Yeah. But I'm also pushing people beyond what Pope Francis is even saying with the dialogue of civilizations. I think there's something beyond dialogue, just as there's something beyond tolerance. So that's the mm. book I'm working on now. Wonderful. So wish me luck. Yeah, wish me yeah, luck. No, it's good about 75% done. Yeah, it's it's been fascinating to research and, and, and to try to put together. When is that going to come out? Approximately? I'm not sure. I would hope in the next year. It's being published okay. by Polity, which is based oh, in okay. London, Polity Press. Um, awesome. 
So let's let's hope soon. There's going to be a chapter on uh, the United States. There's going to be a chapter on Pakistan, uh, the Arabian Peninsula, Turkey, Western Europe, oh, fantastic. Uh, West Africa, and then the Holy Land. So I'm bringing people around the world. I hope, you know, wish me luck, as I said. No, that sounds super interesting. <laughs> All the best for that. Absolutely. No, fantastic. Thank you very much for taking the time out to join us on the podcast. We'll put a link in the description to kind of your YouTube channel, your academic uh, accomplishments and and your books as well. And, uh, you know, it's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you very much for joining us on the Alakum Inspire podcast. Thank you all so much. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Alhakam Inspire podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Visit our socials on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Alhakam Inspire. And of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel and leave your comments there. We would love to hear your feedback and thoughts. So send us an email to inspire at alhakam.org.